as our hearts are excited and thankful that we can come together on the Lord's Day, Revelation 1 verse 9, and that we can do so with a desire to worship God in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. We've come together today for that purpose. Thankful we are for the prayers and for the songs and for all the attributes that God has specified relative to proper and faithful worship to Him. I would take just a moment and make an additional mention. Let's not forget that there's a public discussion taking place later this week, on Friday and Saturday of this week, between B.J. Clark and Michael Brauner on the question of the eternal security of the believer. That is to say, can a child of God fall from grace? They're going to discuss that in a public forum, much like what took place last year between Jack Honeycutt and Michael Brauner on, on a different subject, that, that time the essentiality of baptism. Here at the Pippin Congregation, we're going to again host a public viewing of that, or at least a presentation of it. The times as listed in the bulletin are these. On Friday from 6 to 8.15 p.m., and then on Saturday from 2 in the afternoon to 4.15 in the afternoon. So, so somewhat keep those times in mind as we think about the activities and efforts. I'm sure Brother Clark would appreciate your prayers on his behalf, that his preparation will continue to be fruitful and good, and that that actual discussion will proceed in the way that God would wish it to go. Reflections of Eutychus. You probably noticed in the bulletin or a moment ago, as Brother Dennis read for us from Acts chapter 20, I hope that you still have that text open there before you were going to refer to that several times this morning. And we're going to study about this, this young man, this gentleman. What is it we might learn about him? And how might we use that to assist us in our faithful service to God? These introductory remarks, I hope, will motivate us and move us on our way. As you study the Bible, aren't you on occasion impressed with the names of characters that you encounter? Because on occasion there are times when it almost seems as if some of that which we encounter may be described as almost nothing more than trivia. I hope that I can impress on each of us, even as God would remind us, may we never think about any part of the Word of God as mere trivia. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said every word, even a description of things like Eutychus, has lessons in it that can be meaningful and very helpful to you and to me. I hope today as we mine some of the nuggets of truth found in Acts chapter 20, that we can implant these in our hearts and use them for, for even our own encouragement as we ourselves try to serve the God of heaven. I suppose if you were to ask, the one thing known about Eutychus is he fell asleep in church services. We read about that a moment ago. May I say there's more though to this than just that. Let's study about Eutychus today and appreciate perhaps yet again the features and attributes of this ancient record. Let's first place the setting in its context. Acts chapter 20 verses 5 and following. Paul on this occasion was involved in what you and I would call the third missionary journey. Now this had begun sometime earlier, but as Paul visited these various localities and preached before them the great message of truth, he had arrived at the city of Troas. Now here's a map that at least highlights that third missionary journey. If you're able to see the numbers, you'll notice the number one is about the middle of the right-hand side. That's where that journey began. 
The number two is up about the middle of the whole slide, underneath the word Asia. Number three is right up at Troas. And that's where the setting of our text is this morning. Paul had arrived at Troas. As he did so, what did he do on that occasion? What did he do with respect to the church there? Back to the previous slide. Of all the things that might be hearkened in relative to the activities of Paul, the Scripture highlights this. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Paul's journey on the next day was to take him to a new location, a new place in the service of that third missionary journey, and yet... On this first day of the week, something was so critically important and so crucially needed that he made sure to take out the day to do it. It was the assembly with the brethren. Now later in the chapter, we learn that Paul was in an extremely great hurry to arrive at Jerusalem before the season of, of one of the Jewish celebrations, but yet he met with the brethren. May I suggest that highlights the way that Paul viewed the assembly with the saints, it was so important he wouldn't miss it for anything. How do you and I look at it? Well, let's continue on our slide. Because some interesting pieces of information are given to us. You'll notice in verse number 8, there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. These saints in Troas were meeting in, in an upper chamber, and there were lots of lights there. Lots of candles, if you please, or lots of other kind of lantern things. As all of that's before us, please note the next statement. Of all the matters that are given to us concerning their activities, we're told explicitly that they partook of the Lord's Supper and they enjoyed the preaching of this inspired Apostle Paul. Would you be impressed that what they did in worship is exactly what we are going to do as well. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper too in a little while. And not only that, they listen to preaching, the instruction from the Word of God. Let me submit to you that those activities involved in worship are the same now as they were then. God hasn't changed His mind. And it's not as if the development of worship has evolved over time to where now it bears no resemblance to what it did back then. They sang, they partook of the Lord's Supper, they studied from the Word of God in light of preaching, they gave as they had been prospered, and in light of those things, they offered a suitable and blessed service of worship to God. Now, in light of those things, let's continue our journey. Because something is said very notably about the preaching of Paul on that occasion. Verse number 7 again says, Paul preached unto them. And that part of this seems relatively easy to understand. But that isn't the only information given. May I call your attention to verse number 7 and again to verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, Paul was long preaching. We aren't told exactly how long. But it does say he continued his speech until midnight. Now, would you be impressed here was Paul preaching these things of God, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. But as he preached, his lesson extended over a lengthy period of time, at least by the judgment of many. You'll notice on that slide, there was the name of one individual in the audience given to us. His name, Eutychus. Eutychus. 
Verse number 9 says, There sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. As we close that slide together, might you notice that on the third story, if you please, where this upper chamber was located, there was a window. And that part isn't surprising, but there was a person sitting in that window. His name, Eutychus. Verse number 9 highlights that he had fallen into a deep sleep, and yet Paul continued his preaching, and as he sunk down with sleep, Eutychus fell out of the window, and he crushed onto the ground beneath. As you'll notice on this particular slide, something about that is worthy of observation. Verse number 9 closes by saying, He, that's Eutychus, was taken up dead. Now, the reason I emphasize that is some have highlighted as you look at the next phrase. Verse number 10 says, Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Some have wondered, did Eutychus actually die? Did he just perhaps pass out from the impact? May I suggest Eutychus died. Look at these pieces of information. First of all, the initial statement is, He was taken up dead. No doubt about that, and let us not forget the author of the book of Acts, none other than, the, uh, than a doctor. It would seem to me that since we have the appreciation of a physician, namely Luke, who penned this epistle, this, this, this letter, Luke affirmed that he died. Not only that, you'll notice how that the crowd reacted. Wouldn't a particular audience, wouldn't their reaction perhaps be in light of the death? Let's read the next verse. Verse number 10, Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves. That phrase, trouble not yourselves, in the original language, literally means, make ye no ado. The crowd had worked itself into a frenzy. One whom they had known and loved fell to his death. It's no wonder they were a bit agitated and concerned. Paul comforted them. Don't, in fact proceed along this matter of ado. You remember that funerals and things like that in the ancient world were a bit different than today. As we've seen several times in our study of those circumstances in which one passed away, quite often there was a, a great hullabaloo surrounding the moment of death. Here Paul's warning them, don't do this. Paul knew what was about to happen. He knew that Eutychus, by the power of God, was going to be raised. And so it is, it says, Paul went down. So from that third story down to the place where Eutychus had fallen, Paul went to him and fell on him and embraced him. I emphasize that in light of Old Testament records. May I ask, what was done on a few occasions in the Old Testament when one who had passed away was resuscitated or, should I say, was brought back to life? In 1 Kings 17, the prophet Elijah did this to, in that case, the son of a Shunammite woman. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha, Elijah's successor, did the same thing to another individual. And in each case, fell on them. Well, that's what Paul did. As all of that brought about, 
you'll notice that verse number 11 says, When he therefore was come up again, that's Paul, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. This young man, Eutychus, was in fact brought back to life, and the people were not a small amount comforted. As you think about that with me today, you'll notice we're prepared to close that particular slide and make this observation. The record seems clear enough. What about it that might be of great helpfulness to your walk of faith and mine? Several lessons, and let's begin to look at them one by one. First of all, we don't know everything about Eutychus and his circumstances that we might wish we knew. And therefore, we must be a bit cautious. Let me stress to you what it seems to me is worthy to say about that, that carefulness. First of all, how old was Eutychus? The text merely says he was a young man. Now, interestingly, there's a bit of latitude in the way the Bible uses the phrase young man. For example, he may have been a young adult. That very phrase is used in Acts 7.58 and Acts 23 in reference to one who appears easily to have been an adult. So in other words, this one who fell asleep and fell out of the window may well have been in his early 20s. He may have, what you and I would say, was an adult, but it's also true that that same phrase, young man, is sometimes used to refer to an older child. In other words, one maybe whom his parents had to actually bring to these services. If that be true, it really makes it look a little bit different to us, at least in some ways. But let's read onward. For you'll notice, Eutychus did fall asleep. That much is clear. Did he have a medical condition that perhaps prompted that behavior? This much you and I can say, they were meeting late in the day. For you and me today, it's Sunday morning. It had not even reached the noonday hour yet. And we have already met and assembled today. But those brethren were meeting late on Sunday night. They appeared to be doing so in light of, again, Paul had to leave the next day. What if you and I had our services tonight at 9 or 10 p.m.? Would we be more apt to fall asleep than we are now? Probably so. Suffice it to say... That meeting that was late in the evening does bring us to observe this. It's clear that Eutychus was not a child, merely a young child. That's a very different word. And therefore, what should we say about him falling asleep? Whether a young adult or whether an, an older teenager, maybe even a, a middle-aged teenager, we ought to think carefully about going to sleep in church services. How does God look upon that? What might the God of heaven, as He looks down upon us, what might His reactions to that be? Sometimes there are some things the Word of God puts before us. Let's look at the bottom of that slide. There are times in the Word of God when individuals fell asleep. And as they did so, they missed a lot. They, in fact, missed out on some incredibly vital and significant things. In Luke chapter 9, for example... You recall the scene with me. It was the Mount of Transfiguration. Our Savior had taken with Him three, Peter, James, and John. And as those three were privileged to witness the Transfiguration, 
But what were they doing? The text says they were sleeping. Have you ever wondered what they would have seen had they not been asleep? Have you ever wondered what they would have appreciated and witnessed had they not been asleep? You recall what happened. Peter abruptly, it seems, woke up and it says he really didn't know what to say. He was so overwhelmed and apparently so amazed by that which was transpiring before his eyes. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. But the text again is clear he didn't know what he was saying. Well, if he hadn't been asleep, he might have known what to say. If he hadn't have been asleep, he might have had a keener appreciation of the enormity of that moment. That was the transfiguration that was preparing Jesus for his crucifixion. In other words, as they talked, that is Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus about his near death, they were encouraging him and they were providing him the essential elements of support. And the three were asleep. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus again was so heavy with a moment because he knew what was to transpire the next morning. And he took the disciples and then he took Peter, James, and John a little bit further with him. And three times Jesus came back. Three times. And he had to say, couldn't you stay awake with me an hour? Again, they were asleep. Now may we say the Bible has a much to say about the blessing of sleep. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, according to the Old Testament. But there are times in life for sleep and there are times to be awake. Eutychus, if at all possible, needed to be awake. It was a worship service. It was a time of adoration and praise and homage and obeisance to God. It is with that in mind, let's close that slide, because something might be noted. When we're asleep, we're not cognizant of that which is taking place about us. In a worship service, we're commanded to be aware of those things. I will sing with the Spirit and I'll sing with the understanding. When you and I sing praises to God, we mentally need to be aware of the meaning of those words and voice them in such a way that we mean what we say. By the same token, in prayer, I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Prayer time's not the time for sleep either. What about when preaching takes place? It's not the particular spokesman like myself. That's the important thing. What's important is the Word of God. What's important is Jesus saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There might be some vital verse that's read to address the challenging matters of my life, and if I'm asleep, I'll miss it. And on the day of judgment, I might live to regret that I missed it. You see, sleeping in church services brings us to appreciate that that's an inappropriate thing. The night time is the time for that, or some other time at least. Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. And therefore in worship, you and I have often thought about the powerful passage, God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in truth and in spirit. 
as often as we have thought about the attribute of worshiping God in truth, may we at least for a moment ask, what does it mean to worship God in spirit? What does that mean to say that worship must be directed to God in spirit? That word spirit has to do with the choice of the mind, the enthusiasm, the eagerness surrounding that. Do you and I then come to worship services enthusiastic about the opportunity that's been given to us to worship God? And it's a beautiful opportunity. It seems to say just the opposite if I come and sleep through it. Or if I miss large portions of it because I've chosen to slumber in the matter of sleep. Now, Eutychus did. Would you be impressed, though, that again, his circumstances were at least somewhat different from ours? Let's close that slide, though, and ask about some additional lessons about this whole situation. May I say that as you and I think about Eutychus, almost certainly guaranteed the first thing that comes to your mind and mind about him is he slept through services. But let's turn that logic around like this. Where was he? You, it would have to be admitted that at least Eutychus was at the right place for doing the right thing. Again, may I say, we often think what's so negative about him, but we aren't really aware of all the extenuating circumstances. Let's develop that like this. If it was the case that Eutychus had it by his own choice and his own volition come to this worship service, it was again late on a Sunday night. Would you and I be there? If our elders chose not to meet at this hour, but to meet at 10 p.m. on Sunday night, would you and I still be convicted enough to come? Makes one think twice, doesn't it? And not only that, he gathered on this Sunday evening. They partook of the Lord's Supper. They began to listen to Paul as he delivered this message to them. It seems to me like it begs a ter terribly good question of each and every one of us. A question that hinges on our commitment and our dedication. I've written it like this. November the 12th of later this year, where will you be that night? I had to pull out the calendar. That happens to be a Sunday. If God lets the world stand, where will you and I be on Sunday evening at 6 p.m. on that day in November? Now I realize there might be some extenuating circumstances that may develop by then. You or I might be in a hospital. We may already have been buried. But if all things continue under the normal consideration of events, where will you and I be that night? And what if Jesus were to come back at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time on November the 12th? Would you and I be at the right place to do the right thing? Or will we already have made plans to do something else? I might suggest that could have a strong bearing on where we'd spend eternity. It would have to be confessed Eutychus was at the right place to do the right thing. Although it may have been inconvenient, he came to worship. We don't know. He may have worked all of the preceding two days with no sleep, and if so, he still came. Eutychus was at the right place for worship. Is that where you and I intend to be? even if it's inconvenient and even if it requires sacrifice. Let's close that slide and note this. The Word of God puts before us an issue and priority. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And therefore, if you and I were to argue, but I need to make sure that I can work to put clothes on my back or other things like that, may we always make sure that really is a necessity. The Bible gives us no consideration for just accumulating luxuries. We'd be better off here at services. May your plans and mine then for Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings always surround putting things in proper perspective and with right priority. Eutychus was at least at the right place to do the right thing. Let's look at another lesson. In addition to that, it wouldn't it be fair to say? And this part of the lesson, it seems to me, is a very penetrating one in that it prompts all of us to think pretty critically about this. We all know a very simple set of truths. There are things for which people are known. Every single one of us in this audience, there's something that people will immediately think about you. Perhaps tomorrow at the workplace. Perhaps by association someone mentions your name and immediately something about you crosses that person's mind. He or she is known for this, or their attitude bespeaks that, or they seemingly always react like this. Eutychus is known as the man that fell asleep in church services. I suppose to the end of time he'll be known that way because of this record in Acts chapter 20. What are you known for? What am I known for? A hundred years from now, if God lets the world stand, do you and I want to be known in a somewhat unfortunate way like Eutychus was. May your name and mine live to be far more valiant and far more notable. I've listed on that slide, in addition to Eutychus, I could also mention some other names in the Bible and you would think very differently about them. Although Eutychus was known as the one that fell asleep in church services, what if mention was made of the widow in Luke 21? Although you don't know her name, aren't you so impressed she gave everything she had when she cast in her two mites? And forevermore she'll stand as a timeless example and a lesson of sacrificial giving. You see, we think so greatly about her. What about Abel? Hebrews 11 verse 4 speaks to you and me and says, To this day his blood yet speaks. And we think about Abel as the one who offered to God what God asked to be offered to him. Cain, his brother, didn't. And Abel lost his life due to the slaughtering hand of his own brother. But aren't we impressed that Abel offered to God what God wanted to be offered? May I again ask the question, how will Randy Bybee, and put your name in, how will you be remembered 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now? Will you be remembered in a way that's wholesome and godly and upstanding and encouraging of that which is the things of God? Or like Eutychus, or at least something like it. All that's remembered about you and me is falls asleep in services. Misses services. Not dependable. May we never be remembered that way. That's not the way God wants any of us to be remembered and appreciated. Our life should be a hallmark example. Wasn't it said in 2 Corinthians 4.11 that the life of Jesus should be seen and manifested in us? Is that true? You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, 
there are some direct statements pointed to you and me in Scripture. Would you consider these with, with, with me? In 1 Timothy 4, verse number 12, as Paul wrote to that young son in the faith of his, to Timothy he said, Be thou an example of the believers. What's this? Here he's writing to basically a preacher. But now let's be sure to note, it's not just that only preachers are given those words. All of us as Christians are told, Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in purity, in faith, in verity. Timothy, your life should be an open, openly appreciated matter such that you can be an example of the believers. Will others think about you and me and appreciate a person, a man, a woman of faithfulness, integrity, honesty, absolute devotion in all ways to the things of truth? Some of the finest recollections that we could ever have would be if someone thinks of us that way. He was always committed to the Word of God. He wanted to live his life and encouraging others. Only what that book said, never elevating his opinion, never elevating her appreciation or perspective. And you could always count on him or her. They were honest. What they said was true to the best of their understanding. Eutychus was known as the one that fell asleep in services. How are you and I known? Maybe one last thing on that slide would be, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 6, 21, in the heart of that Sermon on the Mount, as He gave instructions relative to this, we remember so easily what preceded this. Lay not up treasures upon earth. And that's easy to understand. If one's heart is directed only to these things like possessions and money, then you'll notice your treasure in heaven will not have been laid up properly. But verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. May I suggest, people who know you and me fairly well, and sometimes even only moderately well, they know where our treasure is. By the way you talk and the where you go and the kind of things you choose to do in life, they know where our priorities are. They know pretty easily and pretty well whether we're dedicated to the Lord or not. Eutychus fell asleep in services. But may I say, that's the thing for which he's likely best remembered. May you and I be remembered for something much better than that. Closing that slide brings us to notice that great example of Paul. Think about the honesty that led him to say, I have fought a good fight. Can you say that? And I... I have finished my course. Can you say that honestly and can I? Those are fantastically significant words. For if so, Paul could go on to say, a crown of life's awaiting for me, a crown of righteousness. Let's make some final observations about the lesson and then it'll be yours today. We've thought about Eutychus and this gentleman who fell asleep in services. But you'll notice it does say some additional things that maybe all of us should keep in mind. Have you often imagined? Here was Paul preaching and Eutychus was over in the window asleep. Paul appears not to have stopped the sermon and went and woke him up. To any of us who preach or teach Bible classes, if someone falls asleep, make sure to keep the class directed in the proper way. Don't make a spectacle out of it. Paul didn't. But you realize, too, in addition to that, doesn't it remind us that if someone could fall asleep with Paul preaching, 
we shouldn't be too alarmed that someone may fall asleep when you and I are preaching. We aren't Paul, and we aren't Peter, and we aren't the other New Testament-inspired writers and those preachers. But let's just be aware that the second observation is there's something very serious about falling asleep in services. Without these extenuating circumstances, it means we've directed and our enthusiasm is not in place and our spirit is not involved. With that in mind, you'll notice that there's an importance of preparation to worship. One of the things that it seems the longer we study the New Testament, the more impressed with this fact we become. Worship is one of the most serious undertakings that you and I will ever engage in as Christians. And I suppose it's so tempting to take it with such looseness. I'll get up on Sunday morning, throw some clothes on, arrive at the services and get through it and then go on my way. But worship is so vital and critical. The Bible presents it like this. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. Psalm 89 verse 7. During the course of the worship, is my spirit involved to the point where I am directing my homage to God? He is the object of the worship. It's not the person sitting next to me, not the baby in front of me. It's not the preacher. It's not the elders. God is the one being worshipped. Earlier today, as Joe led us in that prayer, he made mention of directing our heartfelt praise to Him. And what an appropriate statement. Worship is serious business. Again, it's not just a feeling either. It's acts of reverence offered in truth, but also in spirit, directed to God. In addition to that, might you notice with me, we ought never then to make a choice, a deliberate choice, to engage in some activity that interferes with our worship. Now again, may I say, there are things that we can't help and providential matters beyond our control, but if it's left to my choice and yours, we should never ever choose something that will cause an interference with worship. When that happened in the Old Testament, God was not pleased with it. He didn't even accept the worship. Maybe that's a good question for us. Does God accept my worship? Have I offered it in the way that He commanded? Several times in the Old Testament, things were offered to God, and one may have thought that they were exactly what He said, but they were animals that, for instance, may have had blemishes or otherwise, and God said, I'm not accepting it. And one final thing. May you and I make wise choices during the course of our services so that we can ensure that our worship and those who are around us will be properly directed to God. It would have to be admitted that if Eutychus began to feel himself getting drowsy, seems like he could have moved out of the window and sat on the floor. But he chose not to do that. He allowed the circumstances to develop. Do you and I approach worship then in the way that we should? This conclusion page hopefully wraps up this lesson like this. We've studied Eutychus today, the one who fell asleep in services we developed four points, or at least looked at four ideas, one of which was we don't know all the particulars, such as the age of Eutychus, but we do know that falling asleep in services is frowned upon by its character for those old enough, of course, to, to appreciate that. But secondly, 
we highlighted that in commendation, it surely would be admitted at least Eutychus was at the right place to do the right thing. May you and I always make that determination too. Thirdly, we noticed, though Eutychus is remembered for falling asleep in services, we ask ourselves the question, how am I going to be remembered? By those who know and associate with me. Finally, the final observations about worship and how significant it is. As we close this lesson this morning, Eutychus will serve as a timeless example and a timeless teaching relative to these things we've studied today. It might be that there's someone in the audience today that's not a faithful member of the body of Christ. It may be that falling asleep in services or things along that line haven't been your issue. Maybe you just never obeyed the gospel. You realize there is a moment of demarcation, a moment of transformation. You're commanded to believe in Jesus and repent of your sins and confess His name. And then at the, at the moment of baptism, Jesus washes your sins away. He adds you to the church. And He puts upon you that name Christian, which you then can faithfully wear till death. Live faithfully that way, and therefore, if you've never become a Christian, why not take care of those things today? If you have become a Christian, but you have not lived faithfully, maybe worship has not been what God commands it to be for you. Maybe it's become just a boring ritual. Maybe it's become just a time to take up an hour or so a week. Worship must be more than that. Otherwise, things are not as they should be for you. If you need to make things right today, we'd be delighted to pray to God for you. We'd be happy to pray for God to forgive you of those sins. You must repent of them admittedly and confess them to Him. If we could help you today in either of these ways, we'd be honored. We'd be happy to assist and help and to do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.